Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 12 of Attitude Check, the business leadership podcast. Uh, today we are so excited to have Stacy Burns as a guest. Stacy is the vice president of business innovation at the Better Business Bureau of Southern Colorado and also the Colorado Institute for Social Impact. So it's a bit of a mouthful, but she just has a, a great story and a lot of wisdom. Before diving into the podcast with Stacy, Brent, tell us something new. So, John Mark, I just recently started reading a new book called When, and the book is kind of going over the timing of things in life. So, as a young professional, uh, a lot of questions that we have is, is this the right time to do it? When should I do it? Procrastination is obviously a huge issue with people, you know, through all spectrums of life, but I really thought the book was interesting, and the section I'm on now is about when your optimal time of day is. So are you a morning bird? Are you a night owl? Or are you somewhere in between? So what do you think about that, John and Mark? Do you see yourself as being more productive in the mornings or evenings? I'm going to pull the scientific card. The studies that they've done on it is that 99% of people are more productive in the morning. They make better decisions and they just get more done. On the flip side, you have that 1% that once 10 o'clock rolls around, they just fire up and they spit out. 10 million ideas. For me, I'm definitely a morning person. Right around nine o'clock, my brain shuts down and I cannot think about anything anymore. For all those people who are somewhere, you know, in between, they don't like to get up super early or stay up super late. Um, what's something that you would tell them? What gets you motivated to, to get going when you get up at, you know, 3 a.m. or whatever it is nowadays? <laughs> Honestly, it's hard waking up super early. And it's also really difficult to motivate yourself to wake up early. What I do is I put the alarm clock all the way across the room so I have to physically get up out of bed to go turn off the alarm clock. And then typically doing something active wakes me up and encourages me to start my day well. For those of you who don't know, John Mark doesn't drink coffee, which makes it even that more impressive that he can get up so early and still function throughout the day. Besides his strange life decisions, let's jump into our episode with Stacy Burns. Endeavor to challenge yourself every single day. Engage with your community, effect change, and produce impact. I'm John Mark Radspinner. And I'm Brent Sabati. And this is the Attitude Check Business Leadership Podcast. We have the conversations that young professionals should be having, but aren't. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Attitude Check. We are so excited to have Stacy Burns for this session. To start out, Stacy, tell us your favorite outdoor activity. My favorite outdoor activity is water skiing. And so, unfortunately, in Colorado Springs, there's not a ton of large body of water, bodies of water here, but I grew up in southern Colorado where a rather large lake was not too far away, and uh, water skiing was definitely um, my pastime during the summer. So did you have any gnarly wipeouts? Oh, yeah. No, I drank half the lake before I actually learned how to get <laughs> up on a ski. So, yeah, but that was my, my goal, and, and my dad set out a... Uh, a reward if I could get up on a ski just one and get around the lake and so I did it and I still do it so it must have been a pretty good reward uh <laughs> yes it was a boat so I'll, I'll take oh. it like a, oh, <laughs> I would do a lot yeah. of things for a boat so <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah I got to inherit his boat so it all worked out yeah so have you tried any other renditions of it like have you seen those videos of people barefoot water skiing and has that ever crossed your mind as something like oh, I should try that I've seen barefoot. That doesn't interest me um, just because I don't understand how you stay <laughs> on top of the water. Um, but I wakeboard as well. Okay. Um, I've seen the lake surfing and that looks pretty cool. I would try that, but I haven't tried it yet. Awesome. So Stacy, tell us a little bit about your story and 
what you do now and how you got to where you're at. Um, I'm a Colorado native, but wasn't really sure where I wanted to go to school. So I have an undergraduate in psychology and English, which are the two degrees that I contend are the least useful without a master's degree. And then went on um, to get a counseling psychology degree and got my master's, thought I would become a great counselor someday. And then realized in um, working at a mental health facility, um, but working in their jobs department or vocational department, that I absolutely love business and that I had a calling there and love blending business with kind of purpose-driven activities. And so I kind of found my found my way through that and I've focused 15 years of my career on that now. So what are some of the biggest takeaways you've had from your background in psychology and how do you apply that to the business world nowadays? You know, I have to say my psychology degree, the the greatest use I've had for it it has been in leadership, understanding, um, at least trying to understand folks' motivations and how to help them stay motivated, how to Uh, manage group dynamics, how to make sure that I'm listening to people when I need to be listening and not talking. And so I think it served me well, even though I don't actually use it for its intended purpose. So So currently you work for the Better Business Bureau of Southern Colorado. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're also working on the startup that goes hand in hand with that Colorado Institute for Social Impact. Um, So what is exactly is your role there and how did you get into it? So I, the mental health agency that I worked at for several years started to kind of move away from the social impact stuff and get back to traditional therapy and I really wanted to stay connected with the business community so I made a move over to Better Business Bureau just because I knew I liked the folks that I had met in the business community and, and really felt drawn to, to trying that and so Started at Better Business Bureau without thinking that I would do anything else in the social impact space and had a few people start to reach out and say, you know, hey, I know you did this in a previous life. We'd like to start a business with a mission or we have a nonprofit where we'd really like to have a business model so we can have um, some additional unrestricted revenue. And a few coffees turned into a lot of coffees, which turned into a company. And um, so I am one of three founders, um, two that still work for the Institute or Colorado Institute for Social Impact. It um, evolved into two jobs and started as one, but I have very different duties on either side of the companies. They're very different companies, even though they have um, similar goals of just making business better in our community. When you look at kind of the academic setting for business and Know, young professionals going through their college courses. You know, you do hear the idea of social impact and sustainable, responsible business practices being taught a lot nowadays. So would you say that this whole idea of having a social impact with your business started from larger companies that you hear about in textbooks like Tom's and you know other companies like that? Or do you see it more as a grassroots movement with smaller communities such as Colorado Springs and local businesses popping up that way? I actually think it's both. Um, I think you had a movement amongst the category of social enterprises that is very much kind of local and tends to be kind of on a smaller budget scale. Um, A lot of nonprofits tend to start business models and end up in that category where the social enterprise is truly just a, a business that exists to solve a social issue but you have for-profits playing that sector as well, but they tend to be on a smaller scale. And then at a very similar um, 
um, trajectory, you had conscious capitalists coming around, which are Fortune 500 companies that have decided that they're going to make decisions through a purpose-driven filter, as opposed to this is all about money and we're just going to return maximum uh, maximum value to our shareholders and not worry about potentially other stakeholders. And so these two segments of what we call the fourth sector kind of started to um, really blossom. And the Institute was the first to really pull those two sectors or those two categories together and say, we're all sitting at the same table. We just need to chat a little more often. And so I think it's both. And I think there's a space for both. So a couple of times now you've mentioned that starting from your background in psychology, you always had an idea that you wanted to do things in the social impact space. So could you tell us maybe one or two of the social impact topics that are kind of near and dear to you and things that you want to improve on personally? Sure. Like causes in the community that mm-hmm. I'm interested in. You know, I have always had a strong place for art. Um, I think that there is a need for that for young people in our community. I think it expands how you learn and why you learn. And I think as our future generations for the workforce evolve, you need creativity and you need the ability to think outside the box. Sometimes, sometimes it's inside, the answer's inside the box, but sometimes you need to be able to think creatively. I think that's important, but I've also seen the impact of art from a healing perspective. And so for the behavioral health clients that I worked with, for veterans that I worked with, I actually started a program for veterans with art therapy and um, was able to see that grow and see just the amazing impact that could have on somebody's life that they couldn't get out of their house and they wore a ball cap low and sunglasses at all times so they didn't have to confront anyone to becoming this amazing artist that actually got to sell their art because they found their passion that they wouldn't have found otherwise. They've just joined the Homeward Pikes Peak board and they have a lot of really incredible programs dedicated to helping folks that want to help themselves out of that situation. Working where I did before jobs is always jobs, purpose, volunteering, whatever brings that is a really important part of anyone feeling valued in the community. And I think they have some really great programs that are helping folks find the stability to be able to take that next step and then feel like they're part of our community and that they're valued. So I'm excited to for that to be a new effort that I'm involved in. In the community, it's pretty obvious that BBB and um, Colorado Institute for Social Impact are pretty close together as far as their missions and helping the wider business community around them. Was that a fairly easy I guess, transition for the team at BBB to move into the social impact space? And do you see, you know, the two missions of the organizations going hand in hand in that? I think that Better Business Bureau has an opportunity to be part of what we really do think is a new sector of the economy. And Better Business Bureau has been around for a very long time. Um, We have a hundred plus year old brand, which comes with a lot of opportunity and a few challenges in terms of helping young people understand why that vetting process is important and how a third party really can give you different information than even peer reviews, but definitely what the company is going to share with you themselves. And so from that standpoint, the Better Business Bureau being able to tell you about social impact companies 
that are willing to be transparent and really share with you, yes, I said I was going to do this and I actually did it and here's the proof that I did it. That's what BBB is really good at. The Institute really will play a role, hopefully, in just creating awareness and helping to organize the sector. As that entity grows, it may grow independent of Better Business Bureau. We're the only one in the nation that really has these two efforts combined right now. As they grow, they might take on different paths, but hopefully I think they'll stay interrelated on some level moving forward. We'll see more to come on that. Through your position at the Better Business Bureau, you've kind of become a community leader through your position and also being involved with the community. But uh, something that we talked about before the podcast is you're more of an introvert, which people don't expect. So how do you translate being an introvert to also constantly being out in the community, going to events, talking with people? How do, how do you find that balance? Um, it definitely took me a minute to, to find that balance. I think when you, especially we were talking about being in sales, when you enter into a position that really requires that you're out in the community. There's a certain level of expectation that goes along with that, but you have to take care of yourself, right? So you have to find what that balance is. I think that one of the things that I used was giving myself permission to step back if I need to. So I might attend events, but one night I might be leading the event. The next night I might be just meeting with a few people that I know well and talking with them for the evening. And another night I might be the wallflower kind of standing in the corner and not necessarily in the middle of anything. And that's okay. I think it's okay to just show up sometimes and be there in the community in that way. And I don't know how that plays out in terms of being a community leader. I I don't think about myself that way. And I definitely don't walk into a room thinking that way. And so I don't know what other people observe when I'm standing against the wall, not talking to anyone. But I think for self-care and for that balance, it's important to give yourself those evenings where you don't feel like you have to be right in the mix. Would you say that showing up is really 90% of what people look for? Yeah. And that's in everything. I've heard some really great folks in our community talk about just Um, if you show up for everything and that's showing up when you're talking to someone and sitting across from them, that's showing up to an event, that's showing up at your job every day and treating every project as an opportunity to not only better yourself, but to better your community. There's a lot of different ways to show up, but I think that that's a really important piece of, of just being active and, and being engaged in what your community is doing and how you want to be seen and participate within it. So when you started out in college, did you ever see yourself as being an executive, being someone who is a leader of people, or were you kind of just trying to stay afloat to survive? No, I probably went through about 15 different majors because I had no idea what I wanted to do, but it definitely did not involve business. And I don't think an executive position was what I was thinking at that time. That's one of my, when I do get to meet with younger folks, one of the things I try to share with them is this is all a zigzag. There there are very few straight paths in this world. And if you're the person that knew what you wanted to do since you were five and you've done it, kudos. And that's awesome. I wasn't that person. And I've floated and I've zigzagged and I've um, tried a lot of different things. And that's what actually motivates me is to continue to do new things. I, I I'm not somebody that could do the same thing every day. And so to find find what you're interested in and be open to new things. So if you could go back to when you were in college and talk to your younger self when you were transitioning through those 15 different majors, what advice would you have given to yourself? 
because so many of our, our listeners are in college and they're struggling with these these different interests, and so they end up switching between all these different majors. Two things. Uh, so one, I think, be open to those opportunities, be open to exploring, be okay with not knowing what you want to do. And then the other piece, which is my advice to my daughter, who's 19 and a sophomore in college, she, I, I've told her that folks right now, you all that are recent graduates, even potentially a good percentage of us in the next 10 or 15 years, the job market's going to change. The types of jobs that are available are going to change. And so there's a really great chance that whatever you're going to do for the next 20 years hasn't even been invented yet. So learn how to be part of a team, learn how to listen, learn how to show up with a good positive attitude. And, and again, just be open to possibilities because if you're not watching my, my favorite one of my favorite quotes is luck is something when opportunity meets preparation and so I think if you're just hoping that something you're going to fall into something that maybe it doesn't always happen the way you'd hoped it would or you're not paying attention but if you're prepared for that opportunity and it comes then I think you have a really great chance to maximize that with some of the other guests and conversations we've had you know for some people obviously they tend to be on the more I guess extroverted side of the spectrum but they talk about intentionality and being kind of intentional with all of their decisions and doing things like networking and their career path but obviously for a, a wide majority of the young professionals or kids going through college, a lot of people don't know what they want to do. So how would you balance the advice to be intentional with the advice to just being open to opportunities and seeing what sticks, so to speak? It's a great question. Um, I think some of the questions that you had me answer to prepare for this, the theme that kept coming up for me is find a good mentor. If the world is about relationships and truly if business is about relationships, it's not going to be ultimately about the technical skills that you have sometimes it will be right like sometimes that's really what it comes down to but most days it's going to be can you walk into a room and understand how to influence that room can you meet someone that has more experience than you and earn their respect can you listen and learn from someone that you know has gone before you and change how your path will look because of something you learned from them and so that piece of, of being intentional with looking for those opportunities or looking for lessons and things. Um, I think one of your questions was, how have you failed in life? I fail every day. I fail every day. But if you look at it that way, then you're only going to see the things that you don't do well. If you look at it, those opportunities for learning and growth and development and conversation with the people that matter in your life, then I think it turns into something that only makes you a better, more well-rounded person. I believe those people make better professionals and community members. So building those soft skills, you know, like you mentioned, being able to to listen and, and take advice from people, because like you said, we don't know what the job market's going to look like even five, 10 years from now. Besides finding a mentor, which is huge and you know, we'll probably touch on some more, what are some other opportunities that you see for people who are either looking for a career change or just entering the job market? What can they do to build those soft skills? I think our community, specifically Colorado Springs, Pikes Peak region, we're a very large, small town. And so I think that the, any 
chance that you take to build relationships and to whether it's joining a town team softball league or if it's attending an aspiring change makers networking event there's a whole array of things to get involved and i'm a big fan of the idea that if you're doing what you love you find the people that will lead you to doing more things that you love and so i think if you're spending time in spaces and with people that are authentic to you that those things come to you. That's probably a little touchy-feely, but I do believe that that's the case. Touching back on the mentor side, did you have any mentors that you really looked up to going through your career development? I have. I actually consider myself very, very lucky because I think there are a lot of folks in my age group that didn't find someone that, number one, resonated with them, but also, number two, that they felt an ongoing um, opportunity to learn from. And so I've had two fantastic mentors in my life. Both of them I found um, in my previous job. One was very focused on his his motto was, if I ask you for a pen, bring me a box of pens. Or if you shoot for the stars and land among the moon, at least you, you're still achieving excellence to a certain extent. And so trying to find ways to go above and beyond, not necessarily impress people for the sake of being that person, but impressing people because you want that to be what they believe about you and you want to be that person. And maybe you're not that person every day or in every moment, but at least you're giving it a shot in projects and and interactions with people. And I think the more that we push ourselves to strive for that, some really neat things come to us in life. And then my other mentor is very much a leadership mentor. And so I actually still work for him now. Um, I worked for him at my previous job as well. And and I've told him when I took the job the second time, he says, I, I uh, had my chance and I didn't have to come and work for him a second time. But I was very honest that given the chance um, to work for him again, that I, I would take that in a heartbeat. Because I think until you've learned the lessons that you can learn from a mentor, there's no need to move on. You know, there's separations in time, there's separations in distance, but there's no reason that you have to decide that that person you know, can't meet all of your goals and therefore isn't necessary to have. So I, I'm very, very lucky to still work for one of my mentors. And the whole idea of mentorship, there's obviously a wide array of you know, different approaches people take, whether that's, I'm going to go out today, I'm going to find me a mentor, which, you know, I think is a little bit less common. And then there's the opportunities that just kind of pop up out of nowhere that you know people just take. And so with that whole idea of mentorship and trying to find a mentor in today's day and age do you think that's something that hey just like you said take opportunities and if it happens it happens if it doesn't it doesn't or do you think people should actually be out there basically searching for the person that's going to teach them and show them the ropes i think if you are a dynamic individual there's never going to be one person that meets all of those needs right and so i think especially for our our generation now that millennials are all in the workforce, you guys have had a phone in your hands or some type of device in your hands from a very young age. You ha- you've had access to information from a very young age. I-, I think that the breadth of this new workforce, I think the breadth of your knowledge is incredible. Um, and some days I'm jealous of it because you- you've had this information at your fingertips. But I think the piece that can be missing some days is the depth and understanding 
a person's experience and not just reading about it or um, or hearing about it, but actually building a relationship with that person to understand it, I think creates a different opportunity. And so to my point earlier, sometimes sometimes you get you learn what you can from a person in one interaction. And sometimes a person might offer you lessons for a decade, just staying open to that and not walking away because they didn't check every single box, but trying to learn things. I, I suppose if you consider a mentor just somebody that you learn things from, I've learned lots of things from people that folks would probably consider very poor mentors because I learned what not to do from them. Um, I've worked for poor leaders. I've worked for. I've worked with um, poor coworkers. That was still an, a chance for me to understand a way that I did or didn't want to do something, and how I wanted to be perceived in relation to them. Tying back into social impact and looking at the wider business sphere, whenever you look at millennial trends, so to speak, you see that it's becoming more and more important for people to feel like they're making an impact or they're having some sort of net positive effect on either, you know, the jobs they're working or the, their purchasing decisions. Where do you see the biggest area of opportunity as far as millennials or even Gen Z to have an impact and make a change in the areas that they're passionate about? So in 2018, millennials gained the largest amount of spending power of all the generations. You guys don't have the wealth just yet. That's still sitting with boomers. But the um, spending power just based on volume sits with that generation right now. And so I think the opportunity to vote with your wallet and and not talking about politically, but being able to use that familiarity with a device, with technology, with peer crowdsourcing reviews and things of that nature your ease with that world is great but use it to be a more informed consumer use it to be a more critical thinker of what's being put in front of you and that's information about um, businesses it's information about nonprofits. it's information about the social impact community i think that my number one goal for what I do primarily with the Institute, which is um, social return on investment, is it's not about comparing apples to apples. It's not about creating a judgment of one being better than the other. It's about creating transparency so that consumers can make an informed decision about where they want to spend their money, what values they align with for companies, which companies are more forward, values forward now than I think they've ever been, definitely in my, my lifetime. You've also got this expectation for Gen Y, for millennials, and for Gen Z that businesses are going to be more provide more clarity about where they're sourcing their products, about what workforce they're using, about are they paying a livable wage, are they providing equity, and a lot of these things are really hot topics and, and buzzwords in our community right now. But we have an opportunity to actually have a discussion around that. Um, or at least tell people how we feel about it based on the organizations that we end up supporting. If you don't like how an organization is supporting a social cause and nobody buys from them, per the business model that they've employed, they'll go out of business, um, which is one of the things I love about a social impact business model. 
But if they make a good cup of coffee and they happen to support a cause that you're really excited about, then buy your cup of coffee from them. Gen Z is, they had the opportunity and were at a crucial age to really see their parents struggle during the Great Recession and then watch older siblings um, that are probably a lot of them in that millennial generation get out of college and understand that I'm now strapped with a ton of debt and I can't find a job because in 2008, 2010, there weren't any. They have a different understanding of how the world works and maybe how how they can partake in that world, which is they're going to be more loyal to certain things that are doing what they perceive as aligned with their values. They're also going to be a little more skeptical of major, maybe those larger institutions. I think something between 60 and 70 percent of Gen Z, I'm, I'm assuming these are probably 13 and above right now, the, the age range probably 13 to 18, they don't have plans to go to college. They're going to go get a certificate or a, a trade or whatever the case may be, and they're just going to go start their job because they think differently and they've seen how that doesn't always work out like the folks ahead of them followed it. On that point, things not working out the way that was originally planned and flipping the equation around, a lot of the, I guess, business leaders in the community I've talked to, whether that's business owners or even on the nonprofit side, the kind of biggest question of today is how do I engage those millennial consumers? So do you think that people either in the nonprofit sector or on the for-profit, do you, do you see that as sustainable, just having that, you know, kind of one single focus as far as providing value to the people they're trying to engage? Or do you see um, things like social impact or just finding other ways to, you know, have a bigger splash, so to speak, is just as important? Deloitte did a, a study in 2016 with, with the millennial generation and looked at, so the millennial generation was forecast to change jobs 20 times over the course of their career. That's on average, if you have traditional career, about every two years that a millennial would change jobs. And so they polled folks that changed jobs about every two years, and then they polled millennials that had stayed in a job five years or longer. The folks that had stayed in their job five years or longer, 88% of them said that a sense of purpose was what kept them there. When you're looking at the cost of turnover for a business or a nonprofit, when you're looking at the cost of retraining, when you're looking at the cost of not developing our talent further, because I think if you're jumping generation or jumping um, organizations, maybe you lose the opportunity to really develop and, and settle in and grow with an organization. And so all the things that you lose with that, a company needs to take into consideration or a nonprofit needs to take into consideration. And so when they looked at the, the 88% of the millennials that stayed five years or longer, they set a sense of purpose. That sense of purpose needs to be felt on the employee side. I think it also has to be felt on the consumer side. If we as organizations can't tell you why should be involved with us or why what we're doing is important, then I think we're going to miss an opportunity to engage that generation and really help them understand how to be involved. And they'll go find somebody else that tells that story better. And so I think that can be from an employer and from a, a community participation side. So a couple times now you've mentioned being able to take different experiences and opportunities, and even if they're negative, just changing your perspective and learning from them. So can you take us back to a time that you faced adversity and how you 
not only overcame it, but the lessons you took from it. One of the greatest challenges I've faced in my life and one of the greatest opportunities was becoming a mom. Um, So I became a mom my junior year of college. There were so many decisions to make. Um, Being 20 and finding out that you're now responsible for another human being is not exactly um, something that you have figured out at that age. The first thing I did, and, and my daughter's heard this story, and so I think she'd be okay with me telling it, but the first thing I did was I had taken some time off from school and I immediately re enrolled because I wanted her to have someone that finished school and have that as a model for her. I got very, very lucky um, that I ended up with a daughter with a fantastic heart and a pretty awesome brain, too. She's, uh, she's a pretty awesome person all around. But finishing college, then actually starting master's programming immediately following that, um, working the entire time and just making sure that I was doing the best I could for her um, as a single mom and really focusing on her provided some of the greatest challenges and, you know, multitasking and late nights. And there's a story I tell where she was sick on a day I had a paper and the day included two trips to the doctor's office, her um, sleeping in my lap while I typed the paper and then running across campus with her on my hip delivering the paper. And and so when I think back to things like that, where there's a lot of ways to look at that as adversity, and I think there's a lot of folks that maybe could have given up at that point, I pressed through and I did it for her. So I think that sometimes the things that can bring you the most unexpected things in your life, potentially some of the hurdles in your life, can also bring you the most reward. That doesn't have to be something that um, life-changing. I think these things come up for us every day and just depends on how we look at them. Thank you for sharing that, Stacey. That was very insightful and there's a lot of wisdom packed into that. So transitioning now into more bullet questions, recommend one resource that is helpful to you in everyday life. So I thought about this question a lot. I think my resource that I want to recommend, which is hopefully maybe one that other folks haven't mentioned, is a thesaurus. I I love words. I love reading. I love learning. Um, I obviously have an English degree, so I'm a bit of a nerd about it. But I do think there's something to be said for expanding your vocabulary and for presenting yourself in a way that shows that you're willing to think about context and language and who you're talking to and being able to adjust based on that. And what is one book that you would recommend? This one is actually like picking my favorite child, even though I have only one child. If I had multiples, they would be my books. I I really struggle with this one. I, I read a lot of novels, but I also read a lot for leadership. And of all of the leadership books that I've read, the one that I've taught the most, the one that I use the most when I'm doing mentoring or when I'm having a leadership conversation is John Maxwell, Leadership 101. It's a quick read. It's a short read, but it's the visuals, the applications, and the metaphors that he uses in that book, I think can be applied over your entire leadership career. And you're going to get different understandings of that every time you look back at it. And so that's, I think, the one I would recommend. John Maxwell is great just as an author because he communicates in such a way that 
like you said, you can apply it at different points in your leadership career, but you can also apply it in other areas of your life. And the analogies that he uses are very uh, personable mm-hmm. and you can understand them really, really well. well. So yeah. I enjoy John Maxwell. Stacy, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And before we let you uh, get out of here, can you just share one parting piece of wisdom with us, a good way to get in contact with you, and then we'll say goodbye. So the best way to connect with me is probably over email. And so I think that should be listed on my LinkedIn profile and and can also be found at Stacy, which is S-T-A-C-E-Y, B as in boy, at B-B-B-S-E.org. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for being on the podcast. This is John Mark. And this is Brent, signing off. Wow, that was such a powerful story that Stacy left us with, with her daughter and the struggle she faced being in college and having to be responsible for a child. And I just thought it was a great reminder that, you know, when the chips are down, people can accomplish amazing things when there's something greater that they're working towards. Stacy definitely shared a lot of knowledge and wisdom, and it was cool hearing about the changes and the shifts in how business is done and with social impact. I know for me, as a millennial, or you could call me an in-betweener, I'm not really a Gen Z, not really a millennial, really what I support drives me. If there's a business that has an incredible social impact, then I'm going to go and support that business. Um, here in Colorado Springs, there's a suit shop called the Men's Exchange downtown. So every, all the suits are gently used, donated by business professionals, and the suits are all $40. And on the flip side, the social impact side of it is that with every nine suits that are bought, one goes to someone who is really struggling to get back up on their feet. The man who runs it brings them in, he teaches them how to dress, and that's, that's something I can get behind. That I know that a lot of other millennials and Gen Zers entering the workforce, that's, that's something that we can all get behind. So after listening to this episode, John Mark and I challenge you to think about what really motivates you and what drives you, what issues do you want to get behind, and how do you want to leave your mark on the people around you, the companies that you build or work for, and just the wider community. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or on Spotify or your favorite podcast hosting platform. And also check us out on Facebook and like us to stay up to date on all things Attitude Check. And also a huge thank you to our listeners who do share um, our episodes on social media. That is super helpful for for us in getting the word out. And if you want to get in contact with us, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can email us at attitudecheckpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to check back every first and third Tuesday for another episode of Attitude Check. Thanks, and we're looking forward to having you back next time.